Let's join together in praying as we get into his word today. Father God, we just thank you for uh, bringing us here, drawing us near to you. And Father, um, for whatever things that are going on in our lives, for all the chaos of life, for the burdens that we've come today to worship with, the things that we kind of drag through the door, Lord, just, just, just keeping us down, I pray that today we would leave them at your cross. I pray that today we would know the freedom we find in you, that we would uh, live out of the hope expressed through Jesus. And just like the promises that were made over him so long ago, we, we today long to hear the promises that you've claimed over us. May you be glorified as we study your word together, as we contemplate and we share. May we be strengthened in relationship to you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, so we spent a few weeks, these last few weeks, um, in this series and uh, today, the, today uh, it's this kind of idea of into the land of giants, right? But, but it's kind of a three-week series uh, that we set out on three weeks ago. <laughs> so this would be the third week of this kind of mini-series, if you will. And uh, quite, I mean, I don't know if you've ever set out on a new adventure in life. Like if you've ever set out like on a new adventure. But quite honestly, this whole series of... Um, you know, reading from the Word and contemplating it was an attempt to let God speak to us. I can't pretend for a moment that, that everything that's been said in the last three weeks has not been compelled by the, um, where we find ourselves at Family Bible Church, where we find ourselves in the journey together. In fact, it was instigated, instigated by the changes at Family B.C., I want to say that now because it would be obvious to those of us who've been journeying. And yet, I want to say to you, if it's the first time you've walked through here, God has a word for you today. And I pray you would listen. God uses his word equally among all men to provide blessing and to provide a rebuke, to challenge, to grow, to strengthen. It's his holy word. And applied to our lives, it makes all the difference in the world. And so as we open it today, I just want to, you know, just, just think about those things and be honest about them up front because it, it, we've talked about the, the idea of running the race to win. I, I want each of you to know who are gathered here today that God has begun a work in you that doesn't end until you've crossed the finish line, you know? It doesn't end for me either. That's like I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you, you know? We run the race to win, to cross the line together. And, and then last week we talked about, and we talked about, by the way, in the first week about Jesus being the beginner and the ender, the, the author and the finisher, right? The perfecter of our faith. So even in those days where you just feel like, Lord, I don't have any faith today. I'm all out. Jesus says, that's all right. I got your faith. Follow me. I'm intrigued about how he always gives us enough to take to the next step in life. And I don't know where you are. I don't know what your struggles are in life. But I can tell you that if you pray to the sovereign God of the universe, if you seek his hand in your life, if you lift up your situation and you say, God, I'm at the end of my rope, what can I do? In that moment, in that time, he will speak to you. But you know what it won't be? It won't be, here's the plan when you're 80. <laughs> it's not going to be, let me tell you how the world's going to end. Some of us want that, you know here are all the answers to the universe 
right? That's the kind of question I have. You know what he says? Look right there. I gave you enough for that next step. And sometimes those steps are little bitty ones. Like they hardly feel like steps at all, but it's enough to go forward. And we remember that we run the race to win. We remembered last week that we press on in spite of challenges and adversities in our life. We press on that we don't get hung up in the snares of the evil one. And I really hope you know today that's my heart for every one of you, that at all costs you press on. You know, sometimes we have this tendency to be overly dramatic. Okay, I have a tendency to be overly dramatic, right? But so do you. Because we cry out, we go, all is lost. Oh, no, the world is coming to an end. And I don't know what the crisis is because some of them are very real in our lives. Crisis is like death in a family, loss of a loved one, divorce of a long marriage, divorce of a short marriage, loss of a child before it's born. All those things are very real and very hard. And yet we can find ourselves crying out in kind of a ridiculous nature, a hopeless way. And yet the truth is that God has a plan, even in those hard, hard times. See, I want to say I was on the front side today because I want to confess something to you that you may not know. What's about to happen here at Family Bible Church is very hard for me. It's very hard. Because part of when I came here, part of why I was so excited about Family Bible Church was because of Matt and Carrie and their ministry. I mean, I told Matt this when I came. I said, brother, you're finishing my sentences. It's beautiful. I'm so excited. And then whenever Matt made his decision and let us know about it, I really was upset with God, not Matt. <laughs> I said, how could you do this to me? We had a deal. And he said, stop being so dramatic. I have a plan for all of you. And yet I find myself right there on the brink of what God is calling us to. And I just wonder. Well, today, the, 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 the thing I title it is called Into the Land of Giants. And it's going to be the story of entering the promised land. And some of you might say, well, you're just like eternal optimists, you know. Denial is not just a river in Egypt, right? And then others of you may, may say, oh, it's so pessimistic. But the truth is, it's the truth. And it cuts both ways. It asks for reality and perpetual optimism, it asks us to expect great things from our great God, and he provides them. And so today, my prayer as we enter the word of God is that he would use it to chastise you, to strengthen you, to gird you, and prepare you for the work that lies ahead for you. Whatever it is, I ask that you would trust him with it. So the word today comes from the book of Numbers. And uh, if, you, if you brought your Bible, it's going to be in the Pentateuch. That's one of the first five books of the Bible. Um, this is the kind of core uh, 
scripture, if you will, for, uh, for Jews, for Hebrews. It would have been the core of Jesus' training as a child, these, these scriptures. They would have been fundamentally instilled. You know, the, the, the Deuteronomy we read earlier was one of the five books, right? It, it's, it's this stuff that you just have to have, the fundamentals of the story. And so if you were using one of ours, it's on page 103. Our Bibles are on the end of the chairs if you didn't bring one this morning. I would encourage you to open the word and look at it with your own eyes. See what it says today. I'm just going to read, starting in verse 23, or 26, I'm sorry. This is what it says. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. By the way, as I get into it, I'm already like, whoa, wait a minute. Here's the deal. God's led his people out of Egypt. He's led them, the exodus is over. He's out of captivity. And he, they're about to enter the promised land. They're about to take the land that God has said them, to them they will have. It's yours. And, and they sent some explorers ahead to kind of see how the land was, to get a little taste of what was to come. So here's the story in verse 26. So when these explorers came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, there they reported to them and to the whole assembly, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey. Here are its fruit. Here is its fruit. <laughs> but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites, <laughs> live in the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea among the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses, and he said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. Then they said, The land that we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there were of great size. We saw Nephim there, the descendants of Anak that have come from Nephilim, and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Some of the fundamental truths that you were to teach your child as they grew up in the faith. This story comes, and it's so remarkable if you just dwell in it a little bit. What was the deal with those who were sent? I want to give you a little context about this conversation, real briefly. And it's this God said, Go take the land. And Moses appointed one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, one descendant of the promise that started in Egypt, one descendant that started in the promise of Abram, the very promises of God. I will lead you into a land flowing with milk and honey. And in that place, these 12 guys got to be the first guys. Like they got the demo version. You know what I'm saying? They got to download the 30-day free trial of the promised land. That's not true. It was a 40-day free, tri free trial, right? 
And they got to wander into this mysterious land. Now, I don't know how you would travel if you were 12 dudes going to a land that you didn't know anything about, but you were probably kind of sneaky. Some people call them spies of the Holy Land. And these 12 people, they kind of snuck in there and they kind of looked around the corners of the big cities and the little places and they looked at the fields of the harvest. They looked at the land and, and I can't help but think they kept thinking, it's exceedingly good. Look at what we're going to have. I mean, have you ever been impressed with an inheritance potential? Do you know? They were going to get it given to them by God. And in that place they come into, they come back. And here's the, here's the lesson from Numbers today. Out of the 12 who went, one guy, one guy was crazy enough to say, let's do it. Do you know? I mean, if you, I don't know if you're a statistics person or not. I'm not, right? I barely passed it in college. But, but I mean, it's not very good odds, one out of 12. Like one dude was like, yeah. Now, some of you are going to like be biblical scholars and say, wait a minute, there were two, right? Caleb was the guy who spoke up, but Joshua ripped off his clothes. Well, that's true, you know. Um, Joshua was the warrior as well and frustrated us all get out. But even two out of 12, one out of six was all that saw. And then among the rest, there began to be this murmuring, murmuring against Moses and against the very plans of God. I want to say to to us today, to any of us, wherever you are, and whatever it is you're struggling with, because I don't want to leave anyone out of this conversation today, that anything you're struggling with, I want to say this. Before we enter into a land that's promised by God, God gives us a taste of what's to come. He gives us a little something. And you know what the problem is? Once you've tasted the promised land, you can't get it out of your mouth. You can't get rid of it ever again. I don't know if you've tasted that in your walk with God. I don't know if you've ever had it be so real to you that you would go and sell everything you owned and buy this chintzy field because you found it. But that's the kingdom of God. The word says, the the psalmist writes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You see, they had these 40 days that they got to journey through the promised land and taste and see for themselves. God wasn't like, take it on blind faith, storm the hill. Go look at it. See what it is. I don't know. garden thank you well we had a garden this year now i gotta be honest with you we're not farmers god help us you know um we had a patio garden so we didn't have a lot of fruit right but but i wanted to talk about some of the fruits of the land and what and what happens whenever you you inherit it when you just take it when you come into you know you come in oh no the mango when you come into the promised land, I know I really did drop the mango. That's not good. By the way, I got to tell you a story about mango. I was in Costa Rica, and we were in this bus, and there was this, this stand on the side of the road, and we pulled over, and there was this, this like rickety old shack, and there were parrots in the trees that were talking to the tourists or something. I was there on a mission trip. But this kid, he kept saying, you got to eat the mangoes. You gotta eat the mangoes. And this kid, you know what he did? He took the mango like this. It was much prettier. And he just 
Oh, man. He goes, this one isn't as good. And you know what he did? I kid you not. He took it, and he handed it to the next guy. And he said, dude, you got to try this. It's so good. And so the next guy took it, and he ate it as well. And he goes, oh. Now, this guy was with us. He was one of us, one of those on the mission trip. And he tasted it, and he goes, it's so good, you got to try it. Now, these guys were from the same church, and they were eating the mango together. I'm backing up, you know, because I'm a bit of a germaphobe. And by the time the mango got to me, I kid you not, it was dripping juice everywhere. It was half eaten. And somebody looks and they go, you got to try the mango. And I looked at it and I kept thinking, I don't want to try the mango. You know how much they cost? They were like a quarter. A quarter. I'm like, I'll buy everybody their own mango instead. And I couldn't. I couldn't say no. This person said, try the mango. And I said, okay, God. And I took a bite of that thing, and I got to tell you, oh, it was so good. It was so good. No, we did. We all went and bought mangoes. And we ate those mangoes. And, you know, as we ate them, like, the, I'm just telling you, the juice was just running down our chin. And it was a mess. We were sticky. I mean, we were going somewhere to a nice dinner afterwards. Nobody cared. People were, like, dancing in the parking lot. They were screaming at people driving by, stop for the mangoes, you know. It was bananas. We had caused a scene on the side of the road over this really good fruit. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. And if you've not tasted that, I pray by the grace of God you will. Because once you taste it, you want it. You have to have it. And they had tasted the fruit of the land. They had seen it. They had touched it. As a matter of fact, if you read with me in verse 25, I think is where it's at. Let me see. Let me see if I can find it here. The mango's got me all distracted. All distracted. I don't know where it's at. That's all right. It's in there. <laughs> I swear it is. <laughs> they had, they had, here it is. It's the fruit. He says there in verse 27, <laughs> we went to the land which you sent us, and it does indeed flow with milk and honey. I mean, it's exceedingly good. Here is its fruit, right? And if you look back when they cut the fruit from the tree, they cut this cluster of grapes, and the grapes were so large that they hung them on a pole between two guys to carry them back. Like it was a big harvest. This was a land of plenty. And these 12 guys are standing in front of all the Israelites. They're going, you can see the fruit is exceedingly good. Like you can see it. And I can't help but think as those guys went to the promised land, they weren't like picking grapes off of the vine and eating them and going, oh, I can't wait to get back and tell everyone how good the land is. How great the land is. God always gives us a taste of what is to come. And the truth of the matter is, once you taste it, you can't stop craving it. You want it so much. You have to have it. And I want to encourage you and say this, that the taste that you've had is a God-given gift. And you should pursue that at all costs. It might cost you a lot, but you should want it. I want to taste that again, Lord. I want to know that again, Father what you let me taste from the promised land. One of the next steps this week 
is to remember the tastes that God has given you in life. I'll tell you why I put that in as the next step. We have a tendency to negate the things of God in our lives. We have this experience, this amazing encounter with the living God, and then we can talk ourselves out of it, just like those 12 that returned from the promised land. We can go, well, it was okay. It wasn't that good, was it? Oh, friends, it was better. And I pray that you could remember the tastes that God has given you in your life. So when we set out, what's the problem? Like, what's, so this is so good, you know, the fruit's good and everything's good. What would be the hang-up? Well, whenever we set out on a journey, we tend a tendency to begin to doubt ourselves, you know? It doesn't take long for us to start to say, really? You know, it takes a few people to say, was the fruit that good? Were the mangoes that amazing? And I go and I go, maybe not. And I eat one, I'm like, oh, no, they were, you know? Was it really that beautiful? Was it really that compelling? And we begin to doubt ourselves. In fact, I would even say rightly so sometimes we doubt ourselves. We may be filled with self-confidence. We may be filled with all the wrong reasons to believe we can do it. Paul tells us in his book to the Romans, he says, in his letter to the Romans, he says, don't think of yourselves better than you ought to, but think rightly about yourself. You know, whenever Caleb said, let's take the land right now, if you read what he said there, let's take the land right now in verse 30, he silenced, he goes, hush, everybody, we should go up and do it right now, because we certainly can, but he doesn't seem to mention anything about God. Not that he had to. I believe he had a faith. He had tasted, he knew it, he knew it was God's will for them to take the promised land right now. But we can do that out of self um, worth, out of self confidence, out of self ability, out of our own giftedness. And the truth is that when we take the promised land, we take it because God has provided it to us. It's his gift to us. So we begin to doubt ourselves. There's a few reasons that doubt shows up, and I want to go through them here. It's verse 32 and 33. We're going to focus in here a little bit, right? I want you to see the progression, what happens in the text, and think about how it happens in your own life, right? Caleb says we can do it in verse 30, but in 31 it says the men who had gone up with him said we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. Right? So the first thing is that they had this kind of this fair report. They had an honest report. It was a realistic report about what was going to happen in the promised land. But whenever Caleb kind of got crazy about doing it for real, then they kind of got crazy about not doing it. You know? There are three reasons here we see from the text that um, we begin to doubt ourselves in this matter. And the first is that we begin to imagine, oh, that's not it at all, right? Wait a second. Yeah. That was it. We begin to see how others see us. No, we see obstacles improperly. We begin to see obstacles, I should say, up there improperly. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Verse 32. (laughs) Look at what the text says in verse 32. It says, they were giants in the land. The land we explored eats those who are living in it. You know, I start out by saying, we can eat there. We can grow there. And it says, the land eats people. And it says, all the people that we saw there are of great size. I mean, they took the people who were probably well-fed from the promised land, and they made them into superheroes that you couldn't beat. They said, there's no way we can overcome that obstacle. There's no way we can conquer that mountain. And they began to spread this, and we do it to ourselves. We begin to... uh, make mountains out of molehills, you know? 
we go like, oh, it's going to be so hard. You got no idea what we're in for because we're just afraid to trust God with it. Trust God with it. That's what we're called to do. The second thing, we'll get back on track here, is that we see ourselves improperly. Right there. We see ourselves improperly. Look at what it says in verse 33. This is what their confession is about themselves. And after this report to Israel, they sent 12 people from the 12 tribes, the men, you know how honoring it would be to be chosen to represent your whole family in the promised land, to get to be that guy, that person, to explore. Look at what they say about themselves. They say they were giants or descendants of Anak, right? When Anak was like this legendary people, this, this kind of, they were, they were giants in the land. And this is what they say. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Grasshoppers. So now they've made the obstacles giants, and we are grasshoppers. What can we do? You know what I mean? How can we take it? We can't possibly. And they exaggerate both directions until it seems an impossible task to move forward. It seems like there is no way they can go, no way they can have it, because they've convinced themselves they see the obstacles as too big and they see themselves as too small. Remember what Paul said, don't think better of yourselves than you ought, but think rightly, rightly of yourself. The third thing is this, by the way, that grasshoppers is, is, you know, it's not a term of endearment for the Israelites. I mean, it means we're nothing. We're hopeless. How can we take them as grasshoppers? The third is this. We put our words in other people's mouths. You know, we imagine what other people think about us. And so it's not only that they say those people are giants in the land, and not only that they say we're grasshoppers in the land, but they say those giants know that we're grasshoppers. They know we can't possibly do this. We can't possibly take the promised land. A preacher in Florida, when we were on vacation just recently, he said this, and I, I had to read it and reread it and reread it. He said this, it's not what you think of you that matters, and it's not what others think of you that matters. It's what you think that others think of you that matters. And I was like, what? Come on, dude, that's not in the Bible, right? He said, it's not what you think about yourself. It's not what others actually think about you. It's what you think others think about you that makes you who you are. You live out of that place where you think you know what other people think about you. And this is what they're doing here in, the, in Numbers. This is what the Israelites are doing. They're saying, they are giants. We are grasshoppers. And they know we're grasshoppers. You see, they've defeated themselves before the battle began. If you don't believe this happens in our lives, I want you to think about some conversations you may have where you'd say, you know, I would do that, but what would they think? You know, if I said the truth, what would they think? If they saw me now, what would they think? Who cares what they think? We do, right? We really care what people think of us. Here's the problem. In this act of thinking we know what others think about us, we create conspiracies that work against the very things of God. We just make them up. We all do it. We say they're thinking this, and I know they're thinking that, and we begin to conspire against the conspiracy, and all the while, God must be up there going, just enter the promised land for heaven's sakes. 
I've given it to you. You know what he actually says to the people? I've revealed myself through miracle after miracle in your life, and yet they still doubt me. That's what he says when they're right on the verge of greatness, entering the promised land. It's not that we have a tendency to doubt ourselves, you see. The truth is we have a tendency to doubt God. That's what I'm saying. It's not that we say we can't do it. We can't go forward. There's giants in the land. We're only grasshoppers. We're saying God can't provide that. God isn't able. Here's the problem. God takes that stuff seriously. He really does take it seriously. I want to remind you that Paul says it's not about thinking better than ourselves, but thinking rightly. And in that place, we can do a few things. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians this. In our weakness, he is stronger. You know what that means? You can admit it. I don't have it all together. I'm really kind of weak in that area. Pray about that. God, let your glory shine through my weakness. God, we need someone to save the day. Be the Savior. And we can live in this place of trusting God and our weaker things. As a matter of fact, one other thing that Paul says is this. God's weakness is stronger than man's strongest strength. It means if you can get the best person that does anything in the world, God's weakest moment is better than that person's best thing. He is all-surpassing, and we can trust God's strength in that. So there's two things that we can do is admitting our weaknesses and trusting God for the provision. Last thing, and this is what it is. How we can do this, and I'm gonna, this is get ready. Are you ready to participate? We can remember the promises of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Remember the promises of God. I have a question for you all who gather here today. Can you tell me any promises that God has made over your life? Can you tell us any promises? I'm serious. Anybody? He will not flood the earth again, praise God. Yeah, the double rainbow. You'll never leave me nor forsake me. Oh, she stole yours. I, that's, that's your promise too, though. Your whole family is going to be saved. Praise God. Anybody else? What are the promises that God has over your life? Keeping your family together. Praise God. Yeah. Always provides. Yeah. Anybody else? Scripture's filled with them. I mean, it's just funny. We run around and, and, uh, and the Scripture's filled. And maybe you have them. I mean, they come out of your heart. They come out of a deep place. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? There's, there's, uh, we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ, our Lord, Paul says. It's beautiful. I'll, I'll tell you something. I don't know if your Bible has this. Remember when you were in high school? And, and uh, maybe you saw her in high school. Do you remember how the answers were in the back of the book to the odd questions? Do you remember that? And so you'd always get the odd ones done for homework. You're like, it's just weird. I can do the odd ones, not the even ones. I don't understand it. Turn it in, you get an F. Well, 
what I found in the back of my Bible, and I didn't know this was in here because I kind of have, a, I have an NIV thin line, so it's pretty, pretty uh, slim pickings. But there's this page in the back, if I can get to it. I may have passed it up. And you know what it says? It says the promises of God. Right here is where it's going to be. It says right there. I don't know if yours has that or not. Yours has it. Wow. Someone's done some of the legwork for us. If you didn't know what the promises of God are over your life, there are just promise after promise after promise. You know what? You should got to look them up, though. They're not listed all out for you. The promises of God's love. God's promise of forgiveness. God's promise of salvation. God's promise of the Holy Spirit. God's promise of everlasting life. God's promise of peace and of joy and of freedom and of growth and of encouragement, of excellence and strength and blessing and his presence, answered prayer, Christ's return. It's all right there. It's listed out and it's just begging you. Do you need to know a promise of God today? Do you need to know something that God has spoken over you, the land that you are to inherit? They're listed out. Then it goes on to list other things, promises to embrace when you feel a certain way, promises to know. But you know, the truth is that the Holy Spirit can bring these things to mind. You don't need someone's prefabricated list to remind you of the promised land. One of the other next steps we have this week is this. Live into the promises that God has over my life. And I mean it. I mean, live into it. God has staked a claim in you. He has called you children of his. And if that is the case, live into those promises this week. Live into those promises this year. Live in those promises until you've reached the finish line. See, the truth is what we believe here at Family Bible is that we can trust Jesus with everything. I mean, everything. All the good stuff and all the bad stuff. Jesus paid it all. He did it all. There was no peace with God before Jesus Christ came to earth. In that first dedication ceremony thousands of years ago, prophets began to speak of the fulfillment of generations of waiting. So I'm going to ask you today, and we're going to do a song here, to close. But I want you to really reflect upon your walk and your life and where you are today. And I want to challenge you as God is challenging me. That no matter what happens, no matter what comes next, no matter what's up over that hill, if you don't trust Jesus with everything, I would invite you today to do so. Trust him. And I'll do the same. Let's pray together. Father God, we give you praise and glory for the goodness that you've revealed to us, for the ways that you've loved us and maybe even drawn us here today, maybe against our will. Maybe we didn't even want to get out of bed today and come here, and yet your spirit compelled us and we showed up. Maybe a friend dragged us, whatever it is, Lord God. I pray that today, right now, we'd be quiet with you, that we would be genuine. Maybe for the first time in a long time, Father God, we would just sit before you empty-handed, professing a trust. We trust you with it. We pray, Lord, that uh, in the cross of Christ, all our sins are washed away. We claim that promise. We claim the hope to eternal life, the resurrection from the dead, because Jesus came before. We claim that promise. And today, Father God, I just pray that your spirit would work as you will. Not what we want, Lord, but what you want. 
Have your way in this place. Have your way with us. Do your work in our lives. And I pray with everything in my being that we remember all the tastes and all the touches and all the hopes and all the dreams and that we would just fervently pursue you to the promised land. May you be glorified today as you work in the hearts of men. I pray in Jesus Christ. Amen.